Ezekiel 31, uh, we are nearing a, a pivot point. We get through 31 and 32, uh, then we will be dealing with some prophecy uh, that's uh, forthcoming and it's exciting and uh, we, we, get, we move on from the judgment of the nations that we've been dealing with. Pride is not a good thing. And anyone who exalts himself against God will fall. Without question. The Gentile nations in the Old Testament were very braggadocious, very audacious, very proud individuals. Those pagan nations, uh, many of the, the leaders exalted themselves and claimed to be a god themselves, and they wanted people to worship them. God slowly has, through the book of Ezekiel, dealing with a prophet, He has dealt with many of these nations, and He continues to do so. And tonight, in verses 1 of, ch of chapter 31 and following, He gives another prophecy to Ezekiel about the nation of Egypt. There's a comparison made, and if you study and you pay close attention throughout the Old Testament, many times in the Old Testament, teaching there's a Bible teaching that uses comparisons a lot. Sometimes they compare like things, and sometimes they make a comparison that are not alike. But it's, it's a teaching method that the rabbis used, and the Jews would be very familiar with it. And tonight in our text, God is going to speak to the prophet and He's going to use one nation in comparison to the nation that He's about ready to deal with. He's going to compare them. What happened to this nation is also going to happen to the nation He's dealing with and uh, gives that prophecy. So let's look at verse 1. Let's jump into it and study what it says. Verse 1 of 31. And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... It's around June 587. It's approximately two months before the fall of Jerusalem. And he says, Son of man, again speaking to Ezekiel, Speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And let me just... Paul's here and give you something that we take for granted that not everybody knows. In our class, we were talking in, in our Sunday school class on Sunday nights, we were talking, we're going through the book of Exodus. And so we're constantly seeing Pharaoh over and over again. Pharaoh was a term for the king of Egypt. There was not just one Pharaoh, there were many Pharaohs. Pharaoh is a title. So a lot of times people get confused. How could you be way over here in Ezekiel at this time period and way back in Exodus at this time period and Pharaoh be the king? Well, Pharaoh was the term, the Egyptian term for the leader, the king of the country. So he says, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom art thou like in thy greatness? This is a question that God tells the prophet to ask the king whom art thou like in thy greatness? So, this question is posed. 
God asks the king through the prophet in Mass this, who do you think you are like in your greatness? And verse 3, he shows us, and here's the comparison. Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud of a high stature, and his top was among the thick boughs. So here, God is making a comparison between Pharaoh and the Assyrians and the leader of the Assyrians. This comparison was made. Assyria was once like a majestic, well-watered cedar that towered above the others. This imagery alludes to the Assyrians' great empire and wealth that she accumulated from overtaking all of these little nations. When the Assyrian came empire came in and ransacked and overthrew all these nations and took their spoil, the Assyrians began to believe that they could not be conquered. There was no one like them and that they towered above everyone. Look at verse 4. The waters made him great. The deep set him up on high with her rivers running about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Here it is. This Assyrian empire towers over all these other little nations and all these other little places. None of them compared to the greatness of this Assyrian empire. Verse 5, Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his boughs were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. The Assyrian empire reached far and wide. Look at verse 6. All the fowls of heaven made their nests in his boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young. And under his shadow dwelt all great nations. This was he, fair in, great, in his greatness, in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. Just as those trees are very strong that are planted near the waters, a well-watered root system, and it took root, and Assyrian Empire took root, and it had overthrown all of these other little kingdoms, and, and it was an empire. Look at verse 8. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him, the fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God was like unto him in his beauty. All of the other little nations, none of them compared to this Assyrian nation. Now, this empire. You know, that kind of makes me stop and wonder. When someone has all of this authority and someone has all of this power and someone has all of this beauty and all of this going for him, it's very easy to begin to believe in yourself and think 
that it's your great power and your great hands that's done this, and it's your great, and you begin to almost put yourself on a pedestal, as did the leader of the Assyrian Empire, and you'll see just a few moments, and exalt yourself against God. One of the problems is with the Assyrian Empire and all these other uh, conquering empires. If you go to Daniel and you'd see all the world empires laid out and you follow world history, all the empires, the world empires follow world history just like the Bible says. And you would find out and you would see that all of these empires, they began to believe the stuff that was being said about them. They began to exalt themselves and what they were doing. They began to challenge God. We don't need God, one of the most, most horrible insults to God is, God, I don't need you. We're the Assyrian army. We can conquer. We can do everything. Look at us. All these other nations are but little twigs to this big, tall, well-watered, well-planted cedar. They don't need God. They don't need God to protect them. They, they have the armies. They don't need God to provide for them because they have all the spoil of the smaller nations. It's a critical mistake. And it's a mistake that I can see in America that parallels Israel of the Old Testament. When America becomes very prosperous and everything is going well, we forget God. We don't need God. Our military is the greatest military on the earth. And we don't need God. And I believe that we are experiencing some of that today and we're seeing the very hazardous difficulties that come from that kind of mentality, from that kind of, of thinking. And, uh, you know, the former president... And I, I'm not playing politics, I'm just speaking truth, whoever it is, it doesn't matter what party affiliation. But when he declared, we are not a Christian nation, America is not a Christian nation any longer. Yes, we were founded upon those Christian principles, but we're not any longer. And I don't know about you all, but I can see this, the more knowledge we get, the more power we get, the more conceited, the more arrogant, the more proud we become until we begin to exalt ourselves against God as a country and say, we don't need you. We don't need you. And we do. It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And we come to verse 9, and he says, I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches, so that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. He was the envy. This is God making the comparison. He was, he was the envy. Everyone looked, all these smaller nations looked and said, man, wouldn't it be great if we, we had an empire like the Assyrians had? Even Israel looked and said, you know, we're the regal nation. We're the nation that, of God's chosen people. We should be like him. But even the nation of Israel, they got into trouble when they exalted themselves against God. 
over and over and over and over throughout the history of Israel. How many of you remember, I was reading in, in Exodus, how many of you are reading through the Bible in a year and you go into Exodus and you saw in Exodus chapter 32 when Moses is up there on the, on the mountain and the people want something to worship. Give us something to worship. We've got to have something to worship. And so Aaron says, okay, bring me all your earrings and all your gold. And they bring all his earrings and gold and he throws it into the furnace and he tells Moses after when they're arguing about it, he said, well, we just put it in there and out came this calf. And they began to worship. And if you would read, uh, when, when Moses comes down, he tells them to put their clothes on. I mean, it was, it was wild, as ungodly stuff. And Moses is so angry. He tells Aaron, in my paraphrase, Aaron, you know better than this. Well, the people wanted something to worship, and I was down here by myself. I don't know where you are. You're off doing something. And God was angry. God was angry because they were exalting themselves against God. And yet, this Assyrian empire was envied by all. Look at verse 10. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God. Now watch this. Because. Here is the root cause. Here is the thing. Because thou hast lifted up thyself in height, and he hath shot up his top among the thick boughs, and his heart is lifted up in his height. Now, this is kind of funny. And we look at it and we say, okay, what does he mean by this? Well, I'll tell you what he means by this. His heart is lifted up in his height means that he was trusting in himself He began to believe in himself. Pride brought him to the place where he was lifted up and he thought he was something. How many of you remember Saul, King Saul? Not Saul that turned into Apostle Paul, but King Saul, the king before David. Do you know why they chose Saul? Anybody know why they chose Saul? He was a big man, big tall guy and handsome. And he's big, tall and strapping and they chose him. And you know what? Saul, they wanted a king, they wanted a king. God said, you don't need a king. They wanted a king, they wanted a king. And they chose Saul because of his height. And it was to his detriment because it literally destroyed him. He lifted up himself to pride. He wanted this worship. He was jealous of David. All this stuff led to Saul's demise. And it begins in the heart. And this is the root issue. He is saying of Egypt, all of the other things are just symptoms of this major sin. The major sin is you've lifted up your heart in pride against God. Because of your position, because of your stature, because of your great height, and because you're taller than all the cedars, you begin to think you're something and you exalt yourself against God. Notice what he says in verse 11. I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. He shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out for his wickedness. Just as God is making this comparison, right in the comparison, talking about Egypt, I've delivered him already. God is the only one who can speak in the present using past tense and it come true. You can't speak in the present about a future event 
in the past tense. Because you don't know it's going to happen. Only God can. And God says, this is going to happen. And the strangers and the terrible of the nations have cut him off and have left him up on the mountains and the valleys and the branches are fallen. His boughs are broken by the rivers of the land and all the people of the earth are gone down from his shadow and have left him. Upon his ruins shall all the fowls of the heaven remain and all the beasts of the field shall be upon his branches. To the end that none of the trees by the waters exalteth themselves for their height, neither shoot up their top among thick boughs, neither their trees stand up in their height of all drink water, for they are all delivered unto death to the nether parts of the earth in the midst of the children of men with them that go down to the pit. Interestingly enough, Nebuchadnezzar comes along and wipes out the Assyrian Empire. God says, you know what happened to that great big cedar? And all those that followed him, they go down to the pit. Look at verse 15. Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when he went down to the grave, I caused a mourning. I covered the deep for him. I restrained the floods thereof. And the great waters were stayed. And I caused Lebanon to mourn. For him and all the trees of the field fainted for him. I made the nations, the, the, the cedars' demise and descent into the land of the dead prompted lamentation and for some fear. But nonetheless, all these smaller nations mourned over him. They also went down into hell with him. Unto them that be slain with the sword, and they that were his arm, his army, that dwelt under his shadow in the midst of the heathen, they went to hell. Ryrie says, and I want to read what he says, quoting verses 16 and 17 in his commentary in his study Bible. He says this Other nations were comforted when Egypt fell, but they too would go down. Went down, notice what he says, went down is a prophetic, perfect, indicating future time. In other words, when he says, but they too would go down to hell, Sheol is the Hebrew word, sometimes translated to grave, here it's hell. He is talking in the future, indicating that he's moved on from the Assyrian Empire, talking about the Egyptians and that they're going to fall and they're going to hell. And they'll be in the midst of the heathen. Now look at verse 18. To whom art thou thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet shalt thou be brought down with the trees of Eden unto the nether parts of the earth, Thou shalt lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitudes, saith the Lord God. God has spoken. He's speaking in the present tense about a future event that's going to happen using past tense. He's saying, I've delivered you. It's going to happen. 
Egypt, Pharaoh, done. God has declared it, and it's going to happen. And so when I read this, three simple things, lessons from this. The lessons that we've heard numerous times in this class, in this study of Ezekiel. There's nothing new under the sun. God is apparently reminding us over and over and over again, number one, that the nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. Period. It doesn't matter our political affiliation. It doesn't matter any of that. Psalms 9.17 tells us that. The nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. Uh, Psalm uh, 50 in uh, verse 22, if you'll allow me to read that, also affirms that teaching. The scripture is very clear. He says, Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Psalm 50, 22. All nations that forget God will be turned into hell. We wonder, and we are a superpower, we live in a great country, we're patriotic. You, many of our folks in here tonight are veterans and served, and I thank God for you. And I want to say this. If America continues to turn her back on God, she will fall. There is ample evidence throughout Scripture, all the nations that exalted itself against God, that forgot God, will be turned into hell. It will happen. I believe it will happen because you will not find the United States of America in prophecy named as such. The only thing that you could even remotely say is that all nations go against Israel, that we might be absolved into them somehow, some way. But the nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Now, let me just say this. The devil is working very hard in our country. And he is targeting our youth. He's targeting the youth of our country. And brainwashing them into thinking that there's no God. It's fictitious. There's a movement where they are trying to get kids, and there are some celebrities involved in it, they're trying to get kids to publicly get on and film themselves and put it on YouTube declaring that they believe there's no God. Ronald Reagan's son, during uh, one of the events, football games or something, I don't remember what it was, had a commercial, and he said, I'm Ron Reagan, and I am not afraid of burning in hell, and I'm a self-avowed atheist. He said that. Very arrogantly and proudly. Pockets all over the world are happening and popping up like that. And the church needs to be the agent in this day that God has called us to, to let our light shine and to point everyone we can to the true light, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's clear in Scripture, all nations that... Forget God will be turned into hell. Number two, pride always, always goes before a fall. Always. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, and, and it's, you've heard it many times 
in church. But it's, it's so true, it's important. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How many times have we seen a public figure? How many times have we seen a very high-profile pastor when pride set in and he fall and he fell hard and it, it hurt a lot of people? Our leaders, pride seems to be the, uh, the operating principles of our government and our leaders. It always amazes me that someone that's been in the government for 30 years says they're the only ones that can fix it. If they're the only ones that can fix it, why is it in the shape it's been in and you've been in there 30 years? I'm just asking. It's pride. I would say, and um, you would have to be a pretty proud, audacious person to even want to run to president for, for president. I mean, I don't want to run for any kind of political office. I know enough about my family. I don't want any other things coming out of them. You know what I'm saying? So, pride always goes before destruction. And I would end on this third point that I think is critical. I know what the scriptures say regarding this verse. It's a very familiar verse. But I think the key is that we as believers, we need to start praying for our nation. In, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, God is speaking to Solomon. And God tells Solomon, and I know it's directed to Israel, but there's an application for us. If my people, which are called by my name, now watch this, first of all, shall humble themselves, opposite of pride, shall humble themselves and pray. Could it be that the reason we don't pray like we should is because we need to be humbled? I'm just asking. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The problem with Pharaoh and most of all the Pharaohs since the uh, Israelites left Egypt, the same problem's been with all those Pharaohs. They refused to humble themselves, pray and seek God's face, and they ended up destroyed. All the other heathen nations, they refused to humble themselves, pray, seek God's face, and turn from their wicked ways, and their lands are destroyed. The same can happen to the United States of America. So what's the answer? Well, you and I that are, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved, we're on our way to heaven, we're going to be raptured out of here, but we have family members that are not. And there are people, even people we don't know, obviously, that need the Lord. And we, as believers, it ought to begin with us. We ought to be leaders in this humbling ourselves, praying and seeking His face and turning from the wicked ways. Because if not, America will be no greater than the Egypt of old that God destroyed. America will be no greater than the Assyrian Empire. We'll be just another nation that's risen and falls and falls hard. So, we must begin to earnestly 
pray and ask God to restore our country. It's absolutely necessity. Absolute necessity, I meant to say. So that's uh, really 